Hello, everyone. Happy Sunday. This is Pastor Laura Hutchinson from First Christian Church in Anniston, Alabama, and I'm so glad that you're here listening to my podcast, Love God and Your Neighbor. I hope that you are doing well and that you have enjoyed the day. Our day here in Anniston has been absolutely gorgeous. So beautiful that I think most of my church folks decided to stay home and enjoy the weather instead of come to church. If you're out there, do you hear me? I noticed. Anyway, that is fine because it was absolutely beautiful and being out in the weather is an act of worship, is it not? I have to admit, though, as much as I loved being out there for drive-in church, I am excited about finally worshiping back in the sanctuary on Palm Sunday, March 28th. Our services will once again be at 11 a.m., We'll have to wear the masks the whole time we're inside. We will have to social distance and we will do everything we can to keep each other safe. And we will also be fully present with each other just as we've been fully present with God out there in the parking lot. And slowly but surely we're all getting vaccinated. I'm scheduled to get my first shot this Thursday after um, a mishap last week when my appointment didn't go quite well. I have a new appointment and I am excited. So slowly but surely we are starting to see our lives returning to a more social schedule when we can feel more comfortable being in the presence of people once more. God is great and God is gracious and God calls us to gather in the name of God's Son, Jesus the Christ, to give thanks for all of our many blessings. So let us celebrate our amazing God and God's amazing grace by raising our voices in praise. Let's sing together our praise song, Masithi, which means sing Amen. Scripture comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? 
He answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
Continue with our sermon series, God, God, Spell, and Grace, a reflection on the power of grace given to us by God and then by us to everyone around us. Please pray with me. Loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. A fellow minister friend of mine was watching a University of Georgia football game with a friend one day while he was also taking care of his two-year-old daughter. Apparently, it was a great afternoon for everyone. Well, the story goes that later that evening, after the game was over, he and his wife went with their little girl to Barnes & Noble bookstore for a coffee and some book browsing. All of a sudden, as they were walking down the aisle, their little two-year-old girl starts chanting the F-word at the top of her lungs, full of joy and excitement about this new, wonderful word she'd learned from her daddy that day while he watched the football game. Her mother turned to her sheepish-looking father and said, Nice, honey. The fact is, we imitate our parents, for better or worse, don't we? We imitate their mannerisms, their tone of voice, and so many other things without even realizing that we're doing it. As we get older and as we become more self-aware, this can become a good thing or a bad thing. For you parents, do you all have that moment when you're talking to your children and you hear your parents' voice come out of your mouth? Usually, this is a horrifying moment because many of us walk around when we're young swearing we will never become our parents, right? And then there it is. You're standing before your child and you become aware for the first time, oh my Lord, I've become my mother or I've become my father. And then... If we're lucky enough to have parents that we admire, there are other things about them that we choose to emulate, right? There are certain values they taught you that you hold dear. For example, maybe you choose to manage your finances the way your parent taught you, or you looked up to them for their faith and the way that they practiced it, or you admired their work ethic. And so every day when you go out to work, you set out to make them proud. There are those phrases that reflect this phenomenon, phrases like, like father, like son, or like mother, like daughter, or the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, right? It's a fact that there are a lot of things about our parents that stay with us our whole lives. If we're lucky, we have parents that we don't mind being like. Others have to spend a lot of time in therapy trying to undo the influence their parents had on them. But no matter how you spin it, our parents have an incredibly powerful influence on who we become in life. It's important for us to realize that we have another parent in our lives apart from the humans who happen to raise us, and that's God. We get to choose how much like God we want to be, how much God's example will influence how we live our lives, and we get to decide every day 
what things we will do, do to show the world that we are children of God. But in order to emulate our divine parent in heaven, we have to know that parent first. And the best way to know God is to know Jesus. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? And the lawyer answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? This is one of so many moments in the four Gospels when we get a glimpse into who our God is and what kind of person our God wants us to be, isn't it? In fact, just in this one exchange, Jesus reveals so much. First of all, Jesus was a true teacher, just as the lawyer called him. He sought to not only help the lawyer learn something new, he wanted him to think it through, to absorb the lesson and allow it to become a part of himself. We see this when rather than just giving the lawyer the answer, he first asked a question to help the lawyer come to the answer on his own. And then when the lawyer followed up the first question with, and who is my neighbor? Jesus told him a powerful story to illustrate the answer. He could have just said, your neighbor is X, Y, and Z. But instead of telling him who his neighbor was, he taught the lawyer what it looked like to be a neighbor. He showed him what it meant to be a neighbor. And in doing so, Jesus taught him that to be a neighbor, you are kind and loving and merciful to anyone who needs it. That lawyer got so much more than he bargained for, didn't he? And then Jesus tells him, go and do likewise. The thing is, what Jesus told that lawyer to do was exactly what God does for us every day. Jesus did not tell him to do something unreasonable. He didn't tell him to do something that Jesus wouldn't do as well. No, when Jesus says, go and do likewise, he's actually saying, go and do as your father does. Or more accurately, go and do as your parent in heaven does for you. In the musical Godspell, this parable is a charming scene. I've seen it done in several ways, but it's always humorous. Someone inevitably jumps up and starts narrating the story. A man was going down from Jericho, Jerusalem to Jer to Je let me start that one over. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. And at this point, members of the ensemble begin to act out the parable. Someone is happily walking down the lane when two actors pretend to be bad guys who beat them up. Oh, and then the poor, beat-up person is so pitiful and sad. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And an actor walks by with their nose in the air, looking oh so pious and snobby. 
So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. And another actor does the same. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him. And when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. It's all very cute, and yet poignant at the same time, because it illustrates so sweetly how kind the Samaritan stranger was to the injured Jew. In the Bible study this past week, we talked about another Samaritan. This time it was a woman who crosses paths with Jesus. I'm sure you've heard the story of the Samaritan woman who meets Jesus at the well. In that story, we reflected on the amount of grace that Jesus gave that woman as he, in one moment, challenged social norms like sexism, racism, and even moral standards of judgment. Because you see, not only was it unheard of that a rabbi would address a woman, it was also unheard of for a Jew to address a Samaritan, much less to ask her for something like water. Because of a long history of divisiveness, Jews and Samaritans hated each other in that region. They both viewed the other as less than, and Jews even viewed Samaritans as being spiritually unclean, unworthy to even touch. So not only did Jesus set the example of breaking down these social barriers for the kingdom of God by going into Samaria and offering salvation to a Samaritan woman, he also teaches the people in other ways that the people that we think of as other, as outsiders, as sinners, are as loved by God as the rest of us. And in turn, they should be loved by us children of God as well. We've already talked about in past sermons in this series, we've talked about the fact that grace is love in action, right? We've talked about it as this unbelievable gift given to us by our God who loves us unconditionally. And now we're seeing that God, who has given us infinite grace, wants us to give grace to others as well. Hence the sermon title, like father, like son, or like mother, like daughter, or like parent, like child. I had to pick just one because there wasn't enough room in the order of worship to list all of them, you know. The point is, God has done it for us. Now Jesus tells us to go and do likewise. In the parable, we saw a Jewish man get beat up by thugs and left for dead. As he lay there suffering and dying, Hear the similarity of Jesus on the cross there? As he lay there suffering and dying, two people that everyone assumes will help walk by without helping at all. The priest and the Levite, both religious leaders in the Jewish community, essentially cross the road to avoid even touching the possibly dead man. This is because they allowed their religious laws to come between them and grace. 
Because according to the law of Moses, touching a dead body makes you ritually unclean, thus requiring you to go through a ritual cleansing that would have taken some time. So rather than risk having to give up so much time in the cleansing process, they walked on by and left the suffering man behind. However, the Samaritan, whom the priest and Levite condemn as being unclean, as being less than, he does stop. And not only does he take the time to dress the man's wounds there on the road, he also takes the time to carry the man to an inn and care for him overnight. Then he gives money to the innkeeper to continue caring for the man and then offers to pay the innkeeper more if the care exceeds what he's initially given him. The grace that the Samaritan gives the injured Jew goes beyond simple kindness and compassion. It carried over into extreme self-sacrifice as well. In the same way that the grace given to us came at the cost of Jesus' sacrifice, the grace we give to others comes at a cost to us as well. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. Go and show mercy to those who need it. Go and do what you can to help others. Go and be kind, even to the point of extreme inconvenience for you. Go and give grace as I have given it to you. You see, we are not just recipients of God's love and goodwill. We are to become transformed by it. If we've truly accepted the gift of grace that has so lovingly been offered, then we will become people of grace. You know, people who offer grace to the people we come in contact with. That grace is inconvenient. It pushes our comfort zones beyond anything we thought we'd experience. That grace moves us to cross societal boundaries and to help those who supposedly don't deserve help. Grace sets an example of anti-sexism, anti-racism, anti-homophobia, anti-classism, and anti-xenophobia, and anti-hate. Grace is transformative to everyone who receives it. First, it transforms us who accept God's grace. And then, hopefully, it transforms other people, other societies, and other cultures. Grace is the foundation of the kingdom of God. And we are called to do our part in laying that foundation for God's kingdom to come. In the world of grace and love, We are called to be like our father or our mother or our parent in heaven. We are called to emulate God's values and to imitate God's actions. We are instructed by Jesus, God incarnate, to see God's good works and to go and do likewise. Let us do so. Let us offer grace to the world around us and let us lay the foundation for the coming of God's reign on earth. Amen? Amen.
conversation with Mishka Asaya. The lead singer and songwriter for the rock group U2 makes an explicit confession of faith. It's a mind-blowing concept that the God who created the universe might be looking for company, a real relationship with people. But the thing that keeps me on my knees is the difference between grace and karma. Saying that the idea of karma is central to all religions, Bono explained, What you put out comes back to you, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, or in physics, in physical laws, every action is met by an equal or an opposite one. It's clear to me that karma is at the very heart of the universe. I'm absolutely sure of it. And yet, along comes this idea called grace to upend all that as you reap so you you will sow stuff. Grace defies reason and logic. Love interrupts, if you like, the consequences of your actions, which in my case is very good news indeed because I've done a lot of stupid stuff. It doesn't excuse my mistakes, but I'm holding out for grace. I'm holding out that Jesus took my sins onto the cross because I know who I am and I hope I don't have to depend on my own religiosity to save me. On the night when the Lord was betrayed, he took the bread, blessed it, and said, This is my body broken for you. Eat it in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, blessed it, and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink it, drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink of this cup, You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let us pray. O Lord God, Heavenly Father, we praise and thank you for your grace that through your Son, Jesus Christ, you established this supper in which represents his body and his blood. By your Holy Spirit, help us to use this gift worthily to confess and forsake our sins to confidently believe that we are forgiven through Christ and to grow in faith and love day by day until we come at last to the joy of eternal salvation through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen. Take and eat the body of Christ, the bread of heaven, the blood of Christ, the cup 
of salvation. Join me in the Litany of Remembrance, which you can find printed in the About This Episode segment of the podcast. By partaking in this meal, we remember that Christ was born. Christ Christ died. died. Christ was raised. Christ Christ will will come come again. again. This is the mystery of our faith. Thanks Thanks be be to God. God. God has given you love and grace that you could never earn. And Jesus tells us to go and do likewise. Go in peace.